Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. By means of introduction, I'm beginning a new sermon series entitled Preparing for Christ's Return. Preparing for Christ's Return. And today, as I have been meditating in verses 1 through 10, I want to share with you four words that I want to label as my sermon title today. That if you walk away with anything, I want you to walk away with this key thought. The gospel has power. The gospel has power. Also, by means of introduction, in order to understand this book of the Bible, if you were here in Sunday school, then you got a little bit more uh, an intensive uh, historical setting and background of this book. But in order to properly understand the book of First and Second Thessalonians, you have to read the book of Acts. And you know that the book of Acts is action-packed, power-packed, and jam-packed with all sorts of different things that God used the early saints in a great way. But you find out that as you study the book of Acts, as I shared earlier today, that there's a pattern in the book of Acts that you see repeated over and over again. And that pattern is simply this, that the prayers of God's people goes up, the power from God comes down, the people of God go out, and the preaching of God's word goes on, the prospects of the world come in, and then the persecution of God's people breaks out. You see that repeated over and over and over again. And in Acts chapter 17, we find that Paul is on his second missionary journey. Remember, he had three missionary journeys. He went on his first missionary journey with Paul Barnabas, and there was a, dis there was a disagreement of John Mark in Acts chapter I think 13-ish, somewhere through there. And the, the, the decision was so severe that they parted ways and never went on a missionary journey again. And Paul elected Silas. And on their second missionary journey, they traveled to Philippi. They're placed in prison. And, you know, they got that jailhouse religion. And the place was shaken. And God moved in a great way. And souls came to know Christ as Savior. Then they traveled through a couple towns. And then in Acts chapter 17, they come to a city called Thessalonica. And this city was an interesting town. And as Paul went there, he goes to the synagogue three Saturdays in a row, and he preaches God's word. He opens up the Old Testament scrolls and shares with them what the Messiah is being described as and how he, is, he began to declare that the Messiah that's described here in, these, in the Old Testament passages is the same Jesus that died and rose again. And in Acts chapter 17, we find that some of the Jewish people in the synagogue came to know Christ as Savior. Then the Gentiles, the others in the area uh, who caught wind and word of the message, received Christ as Savior. And then some prominent leaders, their wives, came to know Christ as Savior. God began to work mightily in this city and in this church. And as I shared in Sunday school, when God is working, the devil is always fighting. And God began to work mightily in verses 1 through 4 of Acts chapter 17. God's word was sown and souls were reaped of a great harvest. But then the Jewish people who did not believe, they set an uproar in the city and they assaulted the house of Jason. Now we believe that Jason's home is where the church was started in this city. 
and that Paul and Silas came, and we believe that they were there for about a month, maybe give or take as few as 21 days, and commentators say as many as six months, but most of them reside on about one month. And so they were there for a month, and all this happened, and they were, Paul and Silas were run out of Thessalonica. Now, with all that in mind, you have to understand the context in order to understand this book of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians. So why was the Apostle Paul writing this book of the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. He was writing as a commendation for their persecution. They endured persecution faithfully. And that was the first reason. The second reason was an instruction for sanctification. So not only was he praising them and, and giving them commendations for their uh, severe persecution enduring through it, but he was, in, he was instructing them to live a holy life. And then the third reason was a correction on Christ's future dissension. That is his second coming. And the rapture. There was there was a misunderstanding, and they didn't understand death and 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 uh, the afterlife and the resurrection. And the apostle Paul was writing to explain all these things. Now, with that in mind, I want to share this four, these four words with you: the gospel has power. The first step in preparing for Christ's return is by understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ has power. Now, I don't think you need to turn on Fox News or CNN or whatever else broadcast you're watching these days to, to find out that our world is in chaos, our world is in calamity, our world is in disaster, distress, and destruction is rampant all throughout our world today. doesn't matter which continent or which country you go to, bad things are happening, and sometimes it's happening to good people, and sometimes it's happening to bad people. You can turn in your news and you can watch. You can literally see the word of God coming into fulfillment each and every day. As I begin to think about some of the end times Bible prophecy stuff, I see each day I look at the world, I see how close we are coming to the time period where God is going to come back and establish his earthly kingdom. And as we read 1 Thessalonians, we need to understand that this book of the Bible gives us ways that we can prepare for Christ's return. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus is coming again. I don't care what you believe. The Bible declares he's coming again. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or you're an atheist and you say, well, I don't believe in the second coming of Christ. Well, extra, extra, read all about it, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters and foes and enemies out there who might be listening online. Hey, listen, Jesus Christ said he's coming again, and that's good enough for me. John 14, he literally said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That mansion, that, that dwelling place, and he's coming back to receive us so that we can spend eternity there with him. And give glory to God. Heaven's going to be a whole lot better than this earth. And I can't wait to the day that he calls us home. But while we're anticipating and awaiting his return, we need to understand the gospel has power. Now, I, think, I know that some of you think you've got a lot of power. Maybe you do. You go in the weight room. Maybe you can lift a lot. Maybe you got some power in those legs or those biceps. Maybe you do. Maybe some of y'all got some great power in your bank account. I'm sure some of y'all do. God bless you if you do. But I'm here to tell you something. There's no power on God's green earth that contains the amount of power that can transform lives like the gospel. doesn't matter how, how prestige or prominent a figure is in our world today. doesn't even matter if you're the president of the United States. The gospel has more power. Now, with that in mind, I want to share with you three thoughts this morning from this passage. As I read verses 1 through 7, I wrote down, first of all, the gospel has power 
to save. As I read verse number eight, I wrote down secondly, the gospel has power to spread. And as I read verses nine through 10, I wrote down thirdly, the gospel has power to secure. Will you come with me as we journey through this first book of the, uh, 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 the first chapter of this marvelous letter that Paul wrote? Now, in verses 1 through 7, I wrote down, first of all, the gospel has power to save. If you're writing down or taking mental notes, r- remember this. The gospel has power to save. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus. If you don't understand what that word means, it just means Silas. It's another way of saying the, the name Silas. And so Paul is writing by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and it is very apparent that Silas and Timothy somehow assisted or were in agreement with this letter and the words that are about to be read. And he says, he begins to say he's writing to the believers in Thessalonica. It says unto the church of the Thessalonians. So he's writing to this church in Jason's house. I don't know Jason's last name. Uh, Whatever his last name was, God knows it. But I know in Acts 17, that's the one it's referring to. And he opens up his greeting like he does normally with all his letters. And he says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, grace to you and peace. And then in verse 2, he he shares some thoughts uh, that he normally shares within his letters. He says that we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Imagine if you were on the Apostle Paul's prayer list. list. Wouldn't that be great? It would be cool. But here, Paul is writing, and he's just saying how that we're praying for you guys. And he says in verse number three, he says, I remember that without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. He's recalling back in the time when he was there for that 30 days, give or take, how that God moved, and these people were faithful, even though they encountered opposition. And he says, how all this in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, I'm not going to get into this term election, uh, but let me just share this with you. <laughs> I'm just going to summarize what I believe about Calvinism and Arminianism all in this phrase. I'm going to just say exactly what Agent Rogers said. I believe that the elect are the whosoever wills. All right. Now, we can debate about all that all you want to, but I'm just going to stand on that. That if anybody, doesn't matter uh, what tribe or nation or kindred or tongue they're from, if they call out to God for salvation, then God is going to save them. And then they are a part of the elected people of God. Verse number five goes on. Here's where the rubber begins to really meet the road in the message. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Now this word gospel, this word literally means good tidings or good news, but it's referring to the good news and good tidings that Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life. When Paul was in Thessalonica, you know what his message was when he went to the synagogue? He opened up those Old Testament, and, and I speculated earlier today about some of the ones that he was, was reading. But he, he went to the Old Testament, and he found verses that spoke of Christ's death and his suffering. And he shared with them, hey, this is the same Jesus that died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Or in, in our case, 2,000 years ago. In his case, it was just several days ago. And he said, this is the same one who was predicted in the Old Testament who also rise again. And Jesus, my dear friends, was the greatest individual that's ever set foot on this earth. You know why he was? Because he was God incarnated in the flesh. And he placed our sins on his shoulders and he rose victoriously after he died. And my dear friends, that's why this gospel has power to save. Because the God of the universe is behind this message. 
The God of the universe is not behind any other religious message in the world today, only behind this message. And it says, for our gospel, this is our gospel, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus saves came not in word only, but also in power. Why does this message have power? Well, God is behind it, but more specifically, the Holy Spirit is all over it. Look at look at it goes on to say, and in the Holy Ghost. I know that we're Baptists and we we get a little afraid of mentioning the Holy Ghost. Uh, we think that the Holy Ghost is like a Casper or something. It's going to frighten us all. But I'm here to tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God is real, and God's Spirit can come upon you once you're saved, and it can indwell you and use you to do great and mighty things, just like they did then. You don't have to be afraid of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is something that gives us the power to go out and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. It says, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now this verse here, some people think that, that it, it could get the connotation that the Apostle Paul was being accused of, of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and marketizing it into making money. But you know as well as I do that the Apostle Paul was not in it for money because he had his own job. He was a tent maker and he wasn't traveling around trying to sucker people into giving him money. And so verse number six goes on to say, and ye became, I want you to notice this word became. Would you say it with me on three? One, two, three, became. Say it again, please. Became. And ye became followers of us. This word became means that at one time, they were not a part of the body of Christ. But there was a time when they bowed their knee and confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ was Lord. There was a time in your life, there was a time in my life, when we were lost as lost could get. There was a time in our life when we were just totally contaminated and consumed with sin, that the Spirit of God came on us, and that we cried out to God in salvation, and He gave us salvation full and free. And that's exactly what happened with them. This word followers, it means an imitator. You know, when you begin to, to learn how to play the piano or learn an instrument, what, what, your teacher, what the teachers will teach you, or when you begin to sing, they'll say, here's what you need to do. You need to find your favorite artists, and you need to imitate what they do. And so today, what I want to encourage you all to do today is find some godly men or some godly women, whether in history or today, and read after them, study after them, and then do what they do. Do. You know, it's interesting. As I study the life of George Whitfield, as I've shared with you before, just like him and some of the others, they were, they, they were some mighty men of God. They would get up in the wee hours of the morning before everybody else was ever awake. And they would spend hours praying to God. They would spend hours reading God's word. And they would go out and they would preach the word of God. Now, George Whitfield, you know, where, <laughs> you know where he's buried? He's buried underneath a pulpit in a church. They say that George Whitfield had a voice that, that he didn't need any amplification. He, would, he didn't need a microphone. He would preach to 20,000 people at one time without amplification they could hear him. God must have been on this man. Literally, he preached thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sermons in his lifetime. And in fact, there were some days that he would preach seven times a day. A day. 
He would travel from city to city. They say about George Whitfield's life, they say that, that Benjamin Franklin was around in his time period, that more people in the colonies personally saw George Whitfield than they saw Benjamin Franklin. George Whitfield got around. He lived in a time period where they didn't have cars, they didn't have airplanes, and he traveled across the seas by boat multiple times, sharing the good news of the gospel. And so as I read this word, it says, and he became followers of us, that we need to just find some individuals that God has had his hand on in throughout the years past and even in today, and do what they did. And understand that the God that saved them is the same God that saved us and that can save others. The gospel has power. It says, having received the word in much affliction. Now, these believers in Thessalonica, they received the word of God in great affliction. Now, in Acts 17, you can go read it for yourself. The Jews who heard the message, they didn't like it. So they, put a, they set a city up in an uproar. Then they assaulted Jason's house. And then they brought these Jason and some of the people before a council and the rulers of the city. And they began to make allegations against them, how that they are claiming there's another king besides Caesar. And sure enough, Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He's the God of gods. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. And there is none else beside him except for him, because he is God and him only, and he is king. So surely that's true. But in the same context, they were not saying that, that this God is going to usurp the authority of Caesar in his Roman rule. That's not what they were saying. They're saying that this God is... This king is a heavenly king, and he can not only rule in heaven, which he will rule in this earth, by the way, but he can also rule and reign in your heart. So I wonder, is he ruling and reigning in your heart? In 2018, this is the last Sunday of the year, I wonder if we would give God 2018. He goes on to say, they were in much affliction. So this word affliction, yes, it means trials. Yes, it means tribulations, but it can also mean persecutions. And these believers were persecuted. And you study Acts 17, as we looked at it in Sunday school, you find out that, 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 that the, they sent Paul and Silas out by night to a city called Berea. And these Bereans, they studied the scriptures. They searched them to find out if anybody who said something about them was true. And the Jewish people in Thessalonica heard that Paul and Silas were in Berea sharing the gospel, and people were, were believing their message. So they came to Berea and set Berea in an uproar. <laughs> what persecution they faced. I'm thankful today that the only persecution I receive is maybe somebody might give me the birdie or two <laughs> as I'm out sharing the gospel. Maybe a time will come where we'll get a little bit more than the birdie and, and some foul language being declared with us. But not only were they going through affliction, but the Bible says they were going through it with joy in the Holy Ghost. Verse number seven says, So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. The gospel has power to save. And God wants to use you to share that message. He wants to use you here, whether you're a teenager or whether you're a senior saint, as I like to say. God wants to use you as an example, just like he did these believers in Thessalonica. Remember, the gospel has power. First of all, it has power to save, but secondly, as I look at verse number eight, I wrote down this, the gospel has power to spread. The gospel has power to spread. Now, let me be frank with you this morning. God does not need you, and God does not need me to accomplish his plan. <laughs> In fact, he doesn't need anybody that's ever lived on this earth to accomplish his plan. God is God. He can do whatever he wants to that does not contradict who he is and what he does. 
But in verse number 8, we find that God chose to use people to allow his message of the gospel to spread. Verse 8 says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Do you understand what's going on here? I want you to connect the dots. Take note of the word sounded. Take note of the word spread abroad. And take note of the last phrase, that we need not to speak anything. So here's the situation. Paul shared the gospel with these these people. They get saved. And their faith was, was like Jeremiah. It was burning in their hearts and they couldn't leave it in. They had to go out and share it. And as a result, it sounded forth like a trumpet being heard for miles and miles and miles. And people came to know Christ as Savior. It says, not only did it sound and word of just the Macedonia region and the Achaia region, but it says everywhere their faith to God was spread, and then the word abroad. You know what this word abroad means? It means it went a little bit further than just their town. And so today we are called by God to not just share the gospel here in Roanoke, but we are called by God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. That's what he said. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, as I studied the life of the Apostle Paul, wow, what a man that God used, that God's touch was on him. But what I noticed about Paul is he used every opportunity to tell people about Christ. Imagine if I were to walk into the Jewish synagogue I think it's between Brandon and Colonial Avenue. If I were to just walk in there and say, hey, I, I, I want to share a few thoughts with you from the, from, from the scriptures, from the Torah and from the prophets and the Psalms about the Messiah. And so I go in there and I share with them. And then I, I tell them, hey, the one I'm speaking of, his name is Jesus Christ. And he died 2,000 years ago and he rose again and he will offer salvation for you full and free. And let's imagine... Some of them received it, others did not, and the ones that did not kicked me out of town. And so I decide that in the next town I go to, I'm going to go to the synagogue again, because the Bible says to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. And so I walk into the synagogue, and I, I do that there, and, and the same thing happens. And then the people in Roanoke here, they, they, they hear about me going into the next city, and they come in and they set the entire town in an uproar. Now, I don't know about you. But that's exactly what Paul was doing, that I would rethink my strategy about this whole situation. Because, you know, in America, we do what works. And if it don't work, we're not going to do it. <laughs> we're Americans. Bless God, as people say. We only do what works and what puts more money in our bank. Or that what keeps the banks from having all these fees, you know. Well, with that in mind, I want to share this with you. That Paul did not rethink his strategy. Paul goes to Berea. And it is the same thing that he did in Thessalonica. And the gospel spread abroad through him and through these believers in Thessalonica. So I wonder, in 2018, will you be willing to spread the gospel? Not just here in Roanoke, but abroad. Now, I'm not saying you need to go to Haiti or, or someplace like that. If you feel called to do that, by all means, go. But I'm saying, what about in another town? I believe firmly that if you're not willing to go across the street to share the gospel, 
You shouldn't go across the seas to share the gospel. The gospel has power to spread, and God chooses. He has chosen to use us to spread that message. 2018 could be the greatest year ever. We could see God move mightily here in Roanoke if we would get off of our blessed assurance and get out there and tell people about salvation. The gospel has power to save. The gospel has power to spread. But now I want to share with you from verses 9 and 10. The gospel has power to secure. The gospel has power to secure. Now, look at verse 9. It says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, this phrase, this verse, seems to give the same connotation of the word that we call repentance. Now, I'm not going to dive into this word repentance, but there are a couple different words as you study the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of them means a, a type of grief that you have, and then one of them means a change of mind. And so the word repentance, all it means is a change of mind, which, by the way, I believe that when our mind is changed, it does result in a change of direction. But repentance is evidence that somebody has come to know Christ as Savior. And here we find that, that repentance was evident in their lives in Thessalonica, how they were worshiping these false idols, and that they laid those idols aside to serve Jesus Christ. As we think about 2018, are there any idols in our lives right now in 2017 that we need to rid ourselves from so that we could give God the full worship He deserves? This is the living and true God we're speaking of. This is not a false idol that was made by the hands of man or the minds of man. This is the true God that spoke for world into existence, that's given us his word, and it has saved us and called us to go out into the world. Verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom, check it out now, he raised from the dead. People might ask you, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Absolutely, 100%. Not only is it verified by the scriptures, but it's verified by sources outside of the Bible. Josephus, a Jewish historian who really had nothing to do with Jesus, confirmed that Jesus rose from the grave. We have 500 witnesses, at least, who saw Jesus rise from the dead. And so today, as I read this about the life of Jesus, how he rose from the grave, because... I believe eternal life is a gift and that Jesus rose from the grave so that we could have it. He is able to secure that gift and we don't have to worry about it. You know, people can hack in to your bank account. They can hack into these online uh, scenes and they can, they can do a lot of damage in a little bit of time. But I'm telling you, the, the bank account of your salvation is completely secure. And it's secured not by Bank of America or BB&T or Wells Fargo. It is, it is secured by the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, the dirty, rotten, stupid, dumb devil can't hack his way into that one. Because Jesus Christ has sealed it for all eternity. And then it says, which delivered us. From the wrath to come. The gospel, yeah, it has power to save. Yeah, it has power to spread. But it has power to secure. And today, my dear friends, I don't have to worry about, you know, years ago, I was in Bible college and I had, the, I had khaki pants. They were, they were a little bit different than these. And 
I had a hole in my pocket. I didn't realize there was a hole there. And every time I put my pen in my pocket, it would disappear. And so finally I figured out that, that I had a hole in my pocket, so I stopped using those tackies. But you know what's interesting? Things may fall out of our pocket sometimes, but you never have to worry about losing your salvation. Because Jesus said that we are in his hands and no man can pluck us from the Father's hands. He says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. The last time I checked, God is not a liar. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here, because the Bible says he delivered us from the wrath to come because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. We do not have to worry about it. I think of this verse. In John chapter 3, this is a very sobering verse that some people do not like to read. But in John chapter 3, a lot of times we resort to John 3.16. But if you keep reading, the last verse of the chapter says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I want God's grace, not God's wrath. I want God's mercy, not God's condemnation. As we kind of wrap all this stuff up, the gospel has power, my dear friend. Are you willing? Are you making yourself available to the new deal? So that God can use you to help spread the greatest message our world has ever heard. It's not a guarantee you're going to live here another day. Either we could cease to exist, or Jesus, if our understanding of eschatology is correct, Jesus could rapture us up out of here, and we'll be with him for all eternity. You know what's the one thing you cannot do in heaven? is you cannot tell the lost how to get saved. You can only do it right here and now. May God help us to take this gospel in 2018 and tell others about it. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.